Hey folks, welcome to the Cyber Task Force podcast. This is the show about everything cyber, from embracing innovation to cybersecurity and everything in between. We can go from the very, very dark to the brightest of bright topics, so listener discretion is advised. This is your host, Paul Dwyer, and on this episode, I'm going to have a conversation with Leo Clancy, Head of Technology at the IDA. We cover an array of topics, including the success stories for the IDA over the last 70 years, and how Ireland's management of COVID-19 may even become a factor for organizations considering foreign direct investment. We delve into the impacts of SHREM 2, the legal decision on data transfers, and cover issues such as the sustainability of data centers. Leo is a man with integrity and a subdued, confident mission to sell Ireland. So if that's something you're interested in, great, keep listening. This episode is sponsored by CyberPrism.com. CyberPrism is an award-winning platform that allows you to measure and manage cyber risk in a really effective way. More about that later. And now on with our show. So welcome, Leo Clancy, Head of Technology at IDA, to uh, this week's podcast. Thanks, Paul. Delighted to be here. And thanks for asking me on. Really appreciate it. Great stuff. So, look, I just want to start off. I mean, uh, the IDA, um, you know, those three letters that that uh, have been around a long time in the culture of Ireland. Uh, for those who are not familiar with the organization, um, for the benefit of the listeners, can you tell us a little bit about the IDA? Sure. I mean, the IDA is essentially how we introduce it to overseas clients and when we meet them is that we are the Foreign Direct Investment Agency for Ireland. Um, our sole task is to attract and grow foreign direct investment. So we only work with companies that are non-Irish by definition, and we're here to make their journey into Ireland easier and to promote Ireland as a location for their investment. I know that sounds very corporate standard, and it is, but that's that's what we're here to do. So breaking that down, Leo, um, how, how does that work? I mean, so essentially it sounds like you're a marketing and sales agency for the country of Ireland, um, and you're you're attracting um, uh, FDI for direct investment from, from different sectors, different companies around the world. Is that essentially it? Is that the mission of the IDA? That's absolutely the mission. So we're, we are marketing and salespeople. You know, from a personal point of view, one of the key reasons we took this job is because it's a marketing and sales job. And I'm fortunate enough to be asked by HR every year to speak to our graduate intake pools as before we do the assessments. What I say to those guys is there, there are a few sales and marketing jobs in the world where you're going to have the access to companies at the level you have access to them uh, that you do have in the IDA. And no matter if you work in the top management consulting firms in the world, the access we get is huge because, first of all, we've had a 70-plus year history now of attracting investment. We have that trusted relationship with companies. We've got the track record of having done a reasonably good, uh, we would say, an excellent job of managing that. And and we're we're not trying to we're not trying to sell a classic product. We're selling, as you said, a nation, uh, a concept, and and that gives us incredible access. Our people are very good. Over the years, we've perfected the art of appropriate engagement with firms because we're not a classic product-driven sales organization. We're, we we understand that when you're talking to senior people about big commitments to a country and to a region potentially in Europe or a region of the world. It's a big deal, and the time needs to be right for them. Uh, the proposition needs to be right, obviously, and that's our job to make sure that that we put the best foot forward for Ireland. Um, but it's a very sophisticated sell, and uh, it's it's a fantastic place to be. And it's a really 
it's a really interesting sales engagement. But I would say the key thing about it is the level that we get to operate at. We're, we're trusted at sea level um, in so many large companies around the world that that makes a huge difference for us. Uh, the sales process is very much the standard one. So we have teams out in the world. I have a team in North America, in Europe, who are exclusively focused on finding the next wave of tech companies that haven't invested in Ireland. They go through the standard process as you would in any sales organization, taking target lists, you know, look at looking at which companies are growing, putting those on a target list, identifying who are the contacts that are most likely to make an investment decision, going out and targeting those people, whether it's LinkedIn, in-mails these days, cold calls, showing up at an obscure conference one day and accidentally bumping into people as all the best salespeople do. So all of those normal sales things we do, uh, you know, the the investment decision from there, as I said, it has to be right. Sometimes it takes 15 or 20 years to get an investment from a company. So we think really long-term because we know that these inflection points in a company only happen maybe every 10 years for a major investment decision, maybe only every 15 years. And you have to have that constant engagement, checking in once a year, maybe once every 18 months, once every six months, whatever is appropriate, to be in the mind of the company at the right time. And and that's absolutely crucial. So. Okay. And look, I mean, I'm one of the biggest advocates of uh, the IDA and probably because I came across the stellar um, reputation and track record it has when, when I'd be working abroad and people would mention the IDA to me in glowing terms. Um, and even going back to, you know, you mentioned a 70 year track record. And that's across obviously multiple sectors. Um, but from my own personal knowledge, it would be going back to things like, you know, DEC when, when they, you know, were in Ireland. And I think it's, it's uh, important to acknowledge that the profound effect that has on the economy of Ireland. Um, as people leave those organizations, they start up their own businesses. So even though you're focused on inward investment to Ireland, essentially by osmosis, you're, you're creating indigenous businesses as well. Is that a fair comment? Absolutely fair comment. And you see second and third waves of that now where your founders coming out of companies like Google and Facebook and founding companies. So some great companies like Wardux, uh, famously, I think um, Tim Cook met them when he visited town in January. You know, uh, Nikki, who founded Wardux, came out of Facebook. Um, your founders who've come out of, as I said, Google and others. You know, really, really vibrant ecosystem. Deck is the famous one. And you mentioned it's a sophisticated sale because presumably, you know, for the non-informed, they think, oh, it's just about tax breaks and stuff like that. But but for us, we know it's a much more sophisticated offering. Um, if, we, if we were to take, stick around this sort of technology sphere, what are the top uh, uh, USPs or traits that you put forward for Ireland in relation to attracting technology companies to come to Ireland? Talent is the top one. So if, you, if you're looking for one attribute, and I've spoken to a couple of companies in the past week that are considering investments and I've said to, said to them, talent is number one. Uh, I would say close second is for most companies is track record. Uh, you know, as in you look back at the history of foreign direct investment in Ireland all the way to DEC and analog devices in the 70s, IBM and Intel in the, in the 50s through the 80s. There's a huge history, and that track record is very trusted. That generates the talent, as you said, the, those people who cut their teeth in those companies are, are around. They're very experienced. They're available as leaders, potentially, into those companies. 
They've, you've also got the talent that's coming through the school system and you've got a European and global base of talent that's happy to move to Ireland as a, as a good place to live. So I would say those are the big ones. Tax is still important, whether that's corporation tax and, and stability that we've shown in that regard. Uh, R&D tax credit and other features of the tax system, very important. I think the kinds of collaborations you can get in Ireland are very important as well, though. You know, if you look at things like our academic research system, there's huge weight given to having industry involvement before things are funded. And the same is true in education. You know, if you want to do a new education program for further education, it needs to have industry buy-in. So I think that whole business-friendly culture that we have about making further Okay, because I, I recently spoke to Dave Feenan of ICT Skillnet, Technology Ireland ICT Skillnet, and he also echoed that as well about that importance of, of getting industry and education uh, lined up together to make sure that, you know, what was coming from academia wasn't just conceptual stuff, but it was what industry wanted. Um, so uh, it sounds like, you know, that whole line from the idea is all synced up in, into that space. Yeah, absolutely. And we work very closely with people like Dave. So uh, I think the ecosystem is one of the most surprising things to people. When we have investors come in and they see how joined up the ecosystem is, it's very interesting. So if you, if you take one of our signal projects with Dave and with ICT Skillnet, we had Mike Roden, who was then Senior Vice President of Watson for IBM, come to Ireland about probably about four years ago now. And he said to me in a meeting that the first country to have 400 master's students uh, versus PhDs or undergrads will set itself apart to a certain extent because undergrads are great, but they know computer science, but not enough AI. Um, PhDs are brilliant. They know loads of AI, but they're very deep, but they're few and they take too long to cook. Um, so I, I went a couple of months later and had a chat with um, Paul Sweetman at the time, with Jerry, who preceded Dave in his role. And, we, um, and the guys within a month or two had tendered for an AI master's. And by that September, with the first AI Masters run at UL in place. And that was a direct response to a direct observation by a company that led to action and outcomes. And I think that's the kind of thing that does surprise people that when, when you make a comment, Ireland listens and reacts. And I think it's really important. To do that. That's a brilliant example. I mean, is that because we're small, we're agile as well, and because we're so well connected? You know, um, I, I didn't even know you knew Dave Feenan, but, but, you know, I would have presumed. And is it, is it because the key players in, in the market are connected that, that we can all be so effective in that place? Yeah, and we're a small country. You know, if you look at, if you look at our size is one of our disadvantages, but if you, if you weigh it on the other side, it's a huge advantage. So there, you know, we, no matter who comes to us with a problem, it's only one or two phone calls away, as you know, uh, to find the next, the person who can, help you solve that problem or help get connected. I, I think that's a huge advantage we have. If you look at Dublin, you know, Dublin city of a million people, it's got all 14 of the top 14 Fortune 500 technology companies uh, there at scale within within that, that small city and hundreds of others, either private or startups or others. So you get this really small connected ecosystem where people know one another and you can get things done. Surprising factor as well versus the US and other places is people are people are much more open. So what you'll find is you can we can bring a client in to uh, to look at Ireland, and they'll be met by people who are potentially competitors of theirs who share their experience of setting up in Ireland, and they just can't believe that because in the states that just doesn't happen for one reason or another, either geography or defensiveness or whatever whatever the reason is. 
And it's not like anyone will ever give away the crown jewels on behalf of their company, but they'll um, they'll share experience in a way that isn't competitive. And 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 that's pretty unique to the Irish psyche. I think we we know how to manage those things, so we're doing the best job for our company while sharing our experience and helping the industry and the ecosystem grow together. It's brilliant. And and look, obviously, look, the IDA and, and its successful mission and, and you know, you hear phrases from the likes of Tim Cook of Apple referring to Ireland as their second home. And that's obviously, you know, attributable to the experience they've had through the IDA and so on. And and you would imagine that makes your job a lot easier, um, you as in the whole, the whole of IDA and, and your team and so on. But with COVID-19, a lot of those things, your keys to success were human interaction. Um, how, how are you dealing with that challenge of, you know, because we know we're going to be dealing with this for quite some time. Um, how are you dealing with that as of today? And how, and what are your future plans for how you're going to, uh, keep Ireland resilient and, and, and keep the IDA successful? Yeah, we're zooming a lot as, as you and I are today. That's, yeah. that's a fundamental one. Uh, we have to switch our model. Like we are a high contact model and, and I don't think there's any, any replacement for that. You know, we like, the benefit of being able to bring someone to Ireland, have them experience those meetings with companies, with service providers, with universities, with individuals, have dinner with them that evening, build a relationship. You can't replicate that over Zoom. It's just not possible. Uh, what we are doing, though, is we are keeping in touch with companies in this virtual format, and we're making sure that we we go that extra mile to maintain that kind of engagement. Um, you know, I, I think... From a, from a corporate point of view, it is difficult. I think the good news, though, is that while people are not traveling, they're not building those relationships with anyone else. So as, as long as we keep the relationship we had fresh, it's a good point. Working <laughs> out to, to build new ones, we're not losing out in the long term, though it does make us nervous to our core that we're not able to get out there and meet the people that are our stakeholders as much as we'd like. Okay. And, and part of that challenge that you, you talked about there and the mission is that you're identifying not necessarily, you, you know, the, the names we all know, like Apple, Google, LinkedIn, all that good stuff. But but you're trying to use a crystal ball to to actually identify the next Apple, the next Google, the next LinkedIn and Twitter and so on. Um, how does that work in, in the idea? Is there a specialist team or how do you, how do you go about that? Yeah, deliberately there is. Um, we, you know, there's always a tension, right? If you're focused on the big clients, um, there's a lot of work to do in that space, and and they deliver a huge amount to the country. So you could spend an awful lot of time on that cohort of clients. On the other side, you could spend an awful lot of time prospecting and lecture large clients. So what we've done is we've actually separated the teams. So. Uh, we have a team which focuses on the large existing clients and the large target clients. They're typically over 250 employees. And then we have a dedicated team matrix across our core business divisions that focuses on companies under 250. So we have those people and, and we've separated the targets. So the other thing to point out about IDA is we're highly target driven. So I know on an annual basis what my target number of jobs to win is for Ireland projects which regions I should put them into in Ireland. And, and I'm targeted and metricized against all of those. So in a similar way, we split up the emerging business side and the core business side. Now, how we how we work within that then is is very interesting. So it's a, it's a different business at that level. The funnel is huge. You know, it's hard to pick winners as well because you don't know which companies are going to be the ones that succeed. Uh, what the guys do is... Um, 
use a network. So they do a lot of one-to-many, but they also are highly networked with uh, stakeholders like VCs and private equity firms, people who can give a good read on who are the new emerging hot companies. They keep an eye on the growth trends within those companies. And we tend to not focus at the very smaller end of the market. We tend to look at companies that have shown a bit of success. So they have some revenue. They've maybe built to 40 or 50 employees. Uh, they show a bit of a growth trajectory and we need to be judicious about spending our time in that regard. Okay. And you mentioned there about regions because that, that's uh, um, uh, something I'd, I'd noticed recently about how IDA, um, uh, you, you know, will, will bring these um, foreign uh, organizations into different regions. Can you talk to me a little bit about how that works? And it's not just all Dublin centric and all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, Dublin, uh, Dublin uh, you could say sells itself these days uh, on the global scale now. We'd never say that because there's a huge job to be done to win investments for Ireland no matter where it locates. Um, but Dublin is kind of an obvious proposition. It's a, it's our largest city. It's got a huge tech hub in, in my division. Um, it's it's pretty clear value proposition. Uh, if you look at regions, I always go back and you and I will remember the term, the buying IBM proposition, you know, and yeah. uh, You'd be amazed how many people these days, Paul, don't don't get that reference. I'm constantly <laughs> depressed. Showing our age, are we? <laughs> so uh, you know, and for the younger listeners, uh, translates as you'll never get shot for buying IBM. It was a it was a standard mantra of technology buyers in the 1980s and 1990s. Um, Dublin's a little bit like that. So often it takes a lot of effort to convince companies to go outside Dublin and look at it, Donegal. Uh, even to look at a Galway or a Limerick can take a big leap of faith because if you're from some part of the States and, and you've never visited Ireland, you may be aware of Dublin but and, and you'll take a lot of comfort from the people there. If you say, well, look, try out this other town where there's two companies or one company or no companies, um, that's a much bigger leap of faith for companies. And um, how we do it is multifaceted. So often it's a, it's a cosplay. You know, it's a... It's look. It's a cheaper place to be. There's less cost of offices, less cost. Uh, your your staff have much better quality of life for less cost, and therefore salaries are maybe a little bit lower. You know, there's often that uh, less demand, less competition for talent is another one. So if you go into a small town as a big fish, you have a much bigger employer value proposition than you would have in Dublin among a lot of other peer companies. So it really is variable, but it takes a huge amount of work. Like if you look at mm-hmm. Overstock.com, um, Salt Lake City uh, Company are are now uh, now have a growing center in Sligo, and in that case, it's one of the signal kind of examples. Our colleagues um, went and worked with recruitment firms to identify people who would be keen to move back to Sligo for one reason or another to take a job in software engineering. Now, a dot-com company setting up a presence in the northwest of Ireland at the time was unheard of. You know, mm-hmm. just it. It was Dublin or nowhere, but the guys with o- at Overstock engaged with us. Um, we listened to them; they listened to us, and the guys put in incredible legwork on the ground to help identify that there is a talent base that potentially wants to move home to Sligo. Would appreciate the even aspects like surfing came into it. You know, who's a surfer? Who can be lifestyle kind of stuff? Yeah, and and they took weeks to build up that picture of the ecosystem. You know, crucially in regional locations as well, working with the ecosystem locally, like the Institute of Technology in Sligo, hugely helpful in making that sell. The councils, the Chamber of Commerce, all those people who can build a picture that we want you here. 
and and that's much more visceral in a place like Sligo than it potentially is uh, somewhere like Dublin. So it's it's a constant struggle, and and there's every tactic under the sun used. But um, but hugely rewarding, I imagine, as well when when you achieve something like that, because the impact would probably feel. Uh, greater on, on what you're doing as opposed to bringing another big company to Dublin that has so many other uh, of these success stories behind them when you when, what you've achieved down in Cork uh, Donegal and so on um, you probably take a, I, I imagine the IDA and the team take more pride or, or, or probably get a better feeling out of bringing it to those areas where they have a bigger impact yeah and we do but but as well as that the companies appreciate us taking that time as well because if you can give them a different proposition that gives them an edge in their operation in Ireland uh, it's hugely valuable to them in the short and in the long term so I think it is it's win-win we hope and not to mention the location you know I think Dublin is is a big metro area you know and and isn't as conscious of which companies are coming in and out but if you go to a regional location that regional location really appreciates the investment having come there Absolutely. And I, I mean, so there's other things that obviously happen in everyday life when we hear about on the news and might be cognizant of the impact they have on the challenge that the IDA's mission is. So I'm thinking things like, you know, the cost of housing, rent, public transport, all those sort of lifestyle kind of things as well. Um, it, they're a constant challenge, I imagine, to, to the value proposition of Ireland to, to other countries. Yeah, competitiveness is huge. You know, it's it's one of the watchwords that we've always had, and and we'll continue we'll continue to watch it. You know, Ireland, I would say, by most companies, is considered a mid cost location. You know, it's not as it's nowhere near as expensive as the coastal locations of the United States or the major cities. If you if you compare it to New York or San Francisco mm. or Chicago, it's also cheaper than London, Paris, and and others. So. From an from an Irish point of view, we still have an edge in cost terms, but obviously we're nowhere near as um, low cost as places like India or parts of Eastern Europe. So you know we have to have a differentiated value proposition as well, and and I think we're constantly looking for that balance of cost and value add. Okay, and, and you talk about signaling as well, and something I can relate to about about how it attracts other people in on success stories and so on. Do you think potentially, and I know all, all countries are finding their way in this uh, space, but do you think how Ireland manages COVID could potentially be a positive signal for companies to to want to operate in a country that's managing it very well? It is. You know, everyone is looking at the management locally of COVID in various countries. Now, I don't think anyone's being overly critical because it's hard to be critical in fluid and, and dynamic situation like we're in. And, you know, often people don't know what the right answers are at a point in time. But I think from an Irish government point of view, um, companies see us as having been very competent. You know, the government's acted uh, carefully and tried to strike a balance that keeps business operating at the same time as maintaining an absolute priority on public health. So I think we're seen as having done a good job so far. Uh, I think even with the level five restrictions recently, there was a lot of concern, obviously, among industry and others. But I think the balance that government put into making sure that critical essential services can continue and things like construction was seen as very welcome. Excellent. And then the construction there leads me nicely into data centers. I mean, it, it was, uh, I read a recent article about, about the success um, of IDA's involvement around the data centers. Um, could you talk a little bit about that and maybe about the sustainability aspects of that as well? Yeah, so data centers, uh, we, were the, we were the first location in Europe for data center investments from 
probably in this sequence, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon. And as you know, those those have transformed into the biggest uh, public cloud players in the world since. So I suppose we're very fortunate. Uh, we would say I would say we're very fortunate. My colleagues who were working on the investments at the time would say we worked hard to win those first investments. Uh, we've we have as a consequence that become, I would say, at the heart of the the public cloud and hyperscale data center industry within Europe. Uh, we have an outsized share of investments. I think you've probably seen some of the angst and criticism about that industry in the press recently, potentially on sustainability uh, and other and other measures. But it's seen as an incredible industry for Ireland. So if you look at the size of those companies collectively now in Ireland, they have grown and grown and grown their operations. They make significant economic contribution to the country and um, and they continue to grow. They've also created a local ecosystem. So to your point earlier about spawning SMEs and Irish industry, you know, the Irish construction firms, the Irish Mechanelec product firms have done incredibly well. Even legal firms have been talking to a number of Irish legal firms in the last weeks and you know they they export the services they do to other locations now around data centers as a consequence of us having been the seed location. So Irish industry has done incredibly well, and Enterprise Ireland estimate about two billion of exports per annum uh, from data center related sources, and um, and that's on top of all the indigenous investment, or sorry, all the investment in Ireland by the large data centers, which we estimate to be over a billion a year in capex and opex and that is not counting all the salaries of the tens of ten thousand to twenty thousand employees that those large firms have themselves so huge success story um, go ahead I'll, I'll yeah no I, I was just going to say i think the, the huge outstanding numbers um, i mean associated with that and i mean i've often thought when it comes to hosting in ireland and data centers and so on that it's it's almost the 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 fact that we're a neutral uh, country and for for the the psychological thoughts of people thinking where is their data going um is something that has been a positive for us. Um, the, the recent um, ch- um, uh, legal uh, quagmire around all of that, uh, Schrems 2, GDPR, um, you know, Facebook, uh, potentially, you know, the data protection commission saying, you know, you can't transfer the data back to the States. Is that potentially something that's going to spoil um, all of this, because how does IDA deal deal with the reality of that if they're trying to, you know, attract companies to come to Ireland, but then say, oh, and by the way, you won't be able to send the information back to your mothership in the, in the United States, potentially? I know it's been like this for quite some time, but but it, the reality is now it seems to be getting a little bit more real, and, and people are trying to come up with ways around that. Um, your own thoughts, partner interruption, as we have a quick word from our sponsor. Cyberprism.com is a cloud-based platform that allows you to perform a cyber risk assessment across all or parts of your business, including the supply chain. It is a faster, more efficient and a much more cost-effective way of performing assessments across your management framework. It is easy to use and the dashboards can be leveraged by the board to make informed decisions. It produces multiple regulatory reports, including maturity roadmaps. The collaboration features allows global teams to manage cyber risks whilst maintaining social distancing. They can continually assess mitigate and track performance on an ongoing basis. Remember, if you don't measure cyber risk, you can't manage it. Sign up now for your demo at 
cyberprism.com. Yeah, I, I won't say too much on this because it's, sure. it's before the courts at the moment, so I'm not going to comment on individual cases. Uh, the Sherman's 2 judgment, though, in July was, I think, an undeniable shock to the global industry. I think both sides of the Atlantic, frankly, uh, you know, it's it's been... It's been tough. We are a very globalized world and the platforms that operate in the world are, are global by their very nature. So it's, I think it's widely acknowledged both in the US and the European Union that this is problematic. And you've heard European Union commissioners talk about it recently. So I think the acknowledgement is there that there needs to be a solution. Uh, notwithstanding that the, the, the judgment of the ECJ stands. So there's work going on within Europe, which is Russian public, I think, to try to find a solution and give companies further guidance. But there's a ways to run on that yet. I think what's certainly true, though, is that Europe is a huge market for platforms. So if you're talking about US platform companies, Europe is a large market and we hope will continue to be a large market. Ireland is part of that common market in the European Union. Uh, I don't think any of that changes. So uh, really, uh, we just need to make sure that our proposition for companies in all other, you know, European law is and will be what, uh, what it, it'll be what it is, uh, or it'll be what it'll be. Uh, we just have to make sure the proposition for all the other parts of what we do are as strong and solid as they can be, and that we're first on the list when people are looking at a place to invest. Absolutely. No, I think that's fair enough. I mean, given that it's a it's a it's a moving target, so to speak, at the moment. Um, I, I presume Brexit has been a great opportunity for you guys. Yeah, and the um, it has. I mean, there's risks in Brexit as well. Uh, lots of our companies do business in the UK, and you know, some of that business is served from Ireland. So I think it's two sided. We have seen a lot of investments, though, particularly in the financial service space, but not limited to that. That are directly a consequence of Brexit. So we've seen financial services, the, the greater part of them, uh, of them, some in life sciences, some in technology, some in services. But we certainly have seen companies using Ireland as um, as an alternate location to the UK, where they hadn't had an EU presence before. Um, I think uniquely we're a good location in that we have a common law system like the UK. Um, also, that um, that we have the common travel area, so it's easier to do business. We're English speaking, so we we've certainly had an edge, and um, we we feel we've um, we have won a lot of investments. I think the risk piece is still in play, and particularly with the risk now of a hard Brexit, uh, that's that's quite present as we talk at the moment. Okay, and I, I I won't ask you for your thoughts in relation to the U.S. elections that are going on at the moment because it's probably a little bit too uh, political of nature of, as, as to what might be better for Ireland uh, in the outcome of that. We, we let that one play out. Um, in relation to your, your your own job role, I mean, I, I was reading your 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 profile and the portfolio you have. I mean. I imagine IDA has well over a thousand clients. You're holding nearly half of, of that as a portfolio, but you're head of technology. How do you manage all of that with life? I mean, how do you, how do you balance all of that? I think we have a great team, which is yeah. which is the fundamental for anyone doing any job. Um, it's, I mean, some there's a huge variation in how much companies rely on us uh, and and when they rely upon us, you know. And I think the 
you know, some of the some companies rely on us for different things than others. So I think I think the demand from plants is variable uh, by volume and time, and that's like any business. You know, I think that's just the nature of it. But the team we have is superb. You know, if you look at that seventy years of experience and learned experience that's built up and inherited by the team that's here today. That's the key for us, you know, just making sure that we continue to have really good people facing off our clients, uh, that we continue to deal with things promptly. But the other piece I'd say is the bit we touched on earlier in the discussion about Dave and the guys in ICT Skillnet. We're just the front end. And this is the way I always think about my job. You know, we could not do our job for one second if we didn't have the whole country behind us. The, the day I started my job at IDA, there wasn't any adult, I would say, in my social circle who didn't know the name and purpose of the organization I was joining. That's true in nearly no other country in the world. You know, I often test this out on visiting clients and say, who, they say, they either say, who's our equivalent of you guys? Or, or we ask them who's our, their equivalent of our guys. And they don't know. You know, so IDA has name recognition and it's got the whole country behind it. That's just huge. So when we need something done, like we, we can't do an AI masters for a client. But when we can reach out to someone like Dave and, and he can be front and center the next day and doing that for us, that's huge. Or when we can't advise someone on how to set up their corporate structure in Ireland, but if we can reach out to one of the law firms, have them in and have them talk to our clients about how they might want to proceed. Yeah. Even at an early stage when they're not guaranteed any business out of it, again, that's huge. You know, So the support we get from the community is, is just brilliant. That's fantastic. I mean, that ecosystem and being able to um, help develop local Indigenous business as well and, and, and having the heroes like Dave Feenan from ICT Skillnet, because I do, I, th- I think he's an unsung hero, the, the amount of things he does for, for, for businesses and, and, and uh, um, helps facilitate is, is um, outstanding um, on, on that space. I mean, you know, your background is techie let's let's say for 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 lack of a better term in relation you're, you're not a luddite you know and when it comes to technology obviously you're, you're head of technology and ida uh is that still a passion is still something you can get your hands dirty with do you keep up with ai machine learning all these kind of things or, or are you more of a salesperson now for for the country i'm probably one of the one of about three or four or five engineers that ida has on staff maybe so i i, I try to keep my hand in by uh, keeping up with technologies at a high level, you know, I've, I've worked as an engineer for years, yeah. um, managed engineering teams. I still actually look after corporate IT, so our CIO reports to me. That's my my other hat. Uh, Jesus, so, they sweat the asset in the IDA, don't they? <laughs> they do, yeah, yeah. Martin, uh, Martin gets his pound. Of milk, he really does. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm, that's that's my other hat. So I do keep in touch. It's impossible not to, and it's useful to be able to do that. You know, you can have conversations which take you back to, to where you were. But in hands-on tech terms, yeah, bits and pieces. I mean, during April, when we all thought we could solve the entire problems of the world with all the extra time we're going to have in lockdown, I started Andrew Eng's AI course, the Stanford one uh, on Coursera. So I, I got to about um, got to about week four before I realized that um, life wasn't going to be as quiet as I thought it was. But I thought that was refreshing, actually, and it's something I intend to go back to now as the winter comes in. But it's amazing how much of the stuff comes back to you, you know, whether it's getting into the MATLAB programming or or re-exploring the algorithms, that kind of thing. It, it does come back pretty quickly, particularly when you've kept in touch to some extent over time. 
Yeah, and I think you know, from the sounds of things, it's it's certainly a part of your DNA that, that helps you be so so good at what you do. Because um, I, I imagine you mightn't even realize, but you're relating to people in the technology space all the time because you you understand where the pain points are and so on like that, and and that really helps. Um, and and I think that uh, that that innate or inherent passion somebody has as a techie never leaves them. So whether you revisit after time and uh, when life allows you, it, it's always really good. Um, you know, from from a family perspective, you mentioned there that there was no adult didn't know what the idea do but but what how would your i presume you've you, you, your children or your family how would they describe what you do for a living uh i think they've finally understood and it only took me seven seven years that uh, my job is to get jobs for other people <laughs> very good that's a nice way of putting it they're 15 13 and 9 so uh, i think i think i've managed to finally beat it into all their heads that that's what my job now is um you know, when I described that I used to be an engineer and try and inculcate some bit of interest in engineering in them, it falls on deaf ears, I'd say, but they've managed to get that bit. Uh, so, so, yeah. And that's what, is that what you see yourself as, as well as, as a catalyst to help that happen? Are you, are you very mission driven in, in your job? It's not like a job. It's a mission you're going in to do that you, you feel you're having an impact in the country. Yeah, I mean, when I when I took on this job, there were three motivations I had for it. Um, you know, if I look at the personal, uh, two personal, um, they were all personal. But uh, I worked as an engineer and engineering manager. I think I was an excellent engineer in my own my own uh, view. I, I'd led, I'd done a couple of different management jobs in a large multinational and in a growing SME, and both were very exciting. Uh, both taught me different things. But actually, joining the IDA. The net the sales and marketing experience was something I hadn't had. Uh, the network that you get, which I spoke about earlier through IDA interactions at senior levels with companies is unparalleled. And then that being able to give something back and, and do something good for the country and feel good about going out every day to do that. That was probably the, um, the, the really interesting piece. And it's probably the guilty little secret of most people who give their lives. And in many cases, it is their entire working lives to IDA that, um, that you you know the people around IDA they're not paid bonuses they're they're public servants and they are some of the most professional customer facing people I've seen in my entire career. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience. But there seems to be almost a sentiment of green jersey about the IDA with, with everybody that I've ever um, um, come across in the IDA. They, they always seem to be get that collective and collaborative mission uh, and realize the impact they're having, which I, I, I can imagine is very rewarding as opposed to a normal job, if you, if you know what I mean, uh, in, in that regards. Um, is there anything in the, that, that you're optimistic about in, in 2021, given that the, the times we're living in are so uncertain and so on? Um, anything? you're very fearful of what might happen and impact um what what uh how how you're operating and how your mission is uh is evolving yeah i think the recession is going to be is is going to so if we talk about the world there's any amount of answers to that question if i think about rda um i think i think we do worry about the long tail recession that that we're in at the moment you know it's 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 going to impact, you know, the, the work we do and the companies we deal with have been impacted to a certain extent, uh, but it hasn't been widespread or catastrophic as it has been in the services sector or other parts of the economy. So we're thankful for that. Um, I do think there are more impacts down the line, though, it, and it depends on how long and how deep this recession turns out to be. 
What I'm optimistic about is that we have a portfolio that's that's doing all the right things. So we have a huge pharma life sciences sector, we have a huge tech sector, those those are growth sectors <coughs> for maybe some of the maybe catalyzed by some of the wrong reasons during 2020. We're at the heart, we're at the heart of some of the most valuable industries in the world. We're in a really good place within those industries. So from an FTI perspective, Ireland is set up for continued success, I think, in that regard. Excellent. Brilliant. And I mean, uh, just if I delve down a little bit in relation to cyber, um, when you're attracting companies to Ireland, uh, and I don't expect you to go into a deep level on this, Leo, but just um, to give maybe comfort to the listeners on the sort of checks and balances are done uh, with companies that would come to Ireland, because we hear lots of these horror stories about companies that are barred from other nations um, maybe have a military aspect or surveillance aspect to the products they develop um, and they might see it as as potentially an easier door to come in and base themselves out of Ireland. I presume there's protocols and so on within the IDA um, checking the, the morality and integrity of, of the companies that they attract to Ireland. Yeah, I won't. Uh, I won't go. Uh, I won't answer that question absolutely fully. But yeah, we 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 do um, we do deeply interrogate the companies uh, that come into our portfolio you know and i sit in our investment committee so every company that's adopted by ida as a client must um must be approved by our investment committee and by our board so that uh, so we do look at all aspects of a company's um background in the course of that but um, i probably won't go further in no no that that's fine it was more reputation is a huge uh, element for us and and we we need to make sure that companies that come into ireland are can and our support of them is consistent with the very strong reputation that ireland has yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it, it's just something that we hear more and more around in different countries and different nations as well um, ab- about maybe that where, where the due diligence isn't carried on uh, as uh, effectively it is, as it seems to be by the IDA. Um, and we hear these horror stories afterwards of these uh, these companies coming in, going mainstream, and then realizing that they were uh, funded by another nation state or, or surveillance uh, intelligence unit or whatever it happens to be. So uh, it was more aimed around that. But th- that, that's a solid answer in relation to that. I think that will give everybody comfort. Um, before I'm just going to change gear slightly uh, Leo as we conclude and um, one of the uh, questions I tend to ask people is what's the most misunderstood thing about you as a person Uh, I I think uh, an an early an early management assessment of me at an assessment centre I did at Ericsson many years ago the the HR guy who did the assessment described me as superficially understated, which I think you probably agree with from this uh, from from this interview. But you know, I, I think um, I think lack of passion is probably one of the things that, that that describes when you're when you've got a very flat personality. People assume you don't care about things or that that you're less passionate about them. That, I think, yeah, I would just kind of interject there for a second. That's not what's coming across to me. Well, what's coming across to me is you're very controlled, but you 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 love what you're doing. That's what's coming across to me, and you're and and you're you're very strategic about what you're doing. Um, so I think the HR guy got it wrong from that side, from what I'm seeing. Yeah, anyway. No, he, he did say superficially. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So so that was the point actually. That uh, you you are. <laughs> so, but I think I think that's the bit of. I, if there's a thing, you know, you could answer it another way and say that if there's a thing I work most to overcome, it's that impression that I that I'm understated or or disengaged. You know, 
Yeah, so, so I, I think we don't worry if if somebody who is representing Ireland was coming across more like a Donald Trump character, a secondhand car salesman kind of selling it, you mightn't be as effective as you are. So that that's what I would add to that mix. I, th- I think we what, what it, you are coming across to me is obviously you understand the industry um, uh, around the, the technology sector specifically as well. The success record, you seem to be very focused on what you're doing um, and um, very confident. On, on what you're doing. It's, it feels like Ireland's in safe hands with people like yourself and the IDA that whatever rocks the boat of Ireland over the next few years with COVID and so on like that, um, I think we, it's great to have people like yourselves in IDA that will have a steady uh, hand at the helm to to keep going, adapting, doing whatever we need to do to bring in more business um, and to continue that success that you guys have been doing. Um, and on that note, what I'll do, uh, Leo, is there's a little point in these podcasts where I go, uh, turn the table, turn the table, where I give you an opportunity to ask me any question you want. Uh, thanks, Paul. Uh, glad you forewarned me of that. <laughs> oh, no, that, I definitely don't forewarn people. Yeah, exactly. now, had, now I know you didn't listen to the other podcasts. <laughs> if I'd, if I'd had, uh, I, didn't, I didn't get to the end of the podcast. If I'd had time to think about this, I'd probably come up with the more difficult ones. I'd love to, given your position and your earlier question around cyber actually intrigued me uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of your background and the stuff that you see. I'd love to understand what for cyber firms, which is which is your sector, you know, what do you see as the as the biggest pro and con of Ireland for investment? I I, I like to try and inform myself of what people see as the biggest strengths and weaknesses of the ecosystem in Ireland. I, I think, you know, it's interesting because answering that question today would be a completely different answer than I might have given even just 60 months ago, because I think a lot has, has developed over the last uh, three to five years in Ireland around the ecosystem uh, w- with cyber-related companies. And a lot of that, and, and without blowing smoke, it, it, it is because of some of the activities of the IDA um, and what they've been able to do and, and, and attract, you know, specific cyber companies. I personally feel sometimes... Um, Ireland is a nation of small tribes and we don't work together um, as collaboratively as we could and should. Um, and I think when we see those things gluing together in a better way and people taking a sense of pride around the ecosystems that's there, that has massive effects. And we've mentioned people like Dave Feen in ICT Skillnet. Um, and when people like Dave and people represent the industry and all the positives of it, that is that signal, signaling piece that you mentioned. It, it, it does attract other people and go, oh, they, they have all of this together. We, don't, we shouldn't be afraid of each other. We are a small island. Um, and if there's experts on the legal side, if there's experts on you know, instant response, if there's experts, whatever, we should all work together and collaborate and be part of that piece that attracts companies to come in. Um, so I think Ireland has so much to offer around this, the, the cyber piece, whether it's education, whether whether it's the development side, AI, whatever it happens to be, it's all there. Um, and, you know, I, I look at, at what's been achieved in um, countries like, for example, uh, Israel. You know, and and you see what they've done around the, the cyber industry in probably a much more aggressive way. Um, I think it's not as we are not as joined up as we could be, but we're getting there in relation to representing it as an entity. Um, and cyber being beyond just cybersecurity, but cyber risk, cyber compliance, the legal piece, all of that, because. Going back to not that long ago when when I was working with companies in, in the United States and say, for example, uh, uh, Texas, and I remember these guys turning around going, hey, you're from Ireland. Uh, we want to build a, a billion dollar data center. Who should we talk to over there? Uh, and do you guys have a search? And do you guys have this? And all of that sort of infrastructure they were looking for behind the scenes. Today, you, we could answer that, completely tick all the boxes. 
even back a few years ago, that would have been so much more difficult to do. So the efforts of the National Cybersecurity Centre, absolutely brilliant. The efforts of Cyber Ireland, absolutely brilliant. You know, there's lots and lots of stuff going, um, but it probably just needs to be um, condensed and pulled together as a uniform message that would help, you know, companies when they come over here, because they expect that ecosystem here. They expect to have specialist legal firms, they ex- you know, specialist security operations centers they can outsource to, all those kind of things. And they are here, but maybe not best articulated uh, in a joint messaging piece. So, you know, I think we're, we're, we're doing really well. I think EI does a, a, an unbelievable job as well. Uh, both agencies uh, play their own role uh, and their own part. And I think what, what, what they're doing uh, supports each other as well. And, and maybe that's not an official uh, approach, but certainly it's the way it seems to work because what you guys are doing feeds the EI businesses as well and their clients. Um, and their clients are obviously looking to for, for your clients that are coming into this uh, this ecosystem as well. Well, if you look at a good example this week, 5G security, Asabi and Akamai, so you probably saw that announcement. Yeah. And you, and you know, that's you're right, there is that transversal period where Enterprise Ireland has done a fantastic job of supporting a company like that to get to a point where it's a leader in its field. And we now need to come in and work with them to make sure that, as far as possible, Ireland is one of the key locations to continue to grow and develop in. And and I, and I think to your question, a semi-question during your answer, ourselves in the eye do have a very special and close relationship. You know, we do work hand in glove. So my counterpart over there is Carl Gibbons, and Carl and I talk at least once a week, probably more so more often, about clients, policy matters, and everything else. So we do work hand in glove to make sure the whole thing works. That's brilliant to know. Well, look, Leo, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It's been really informative. I've enjoyed talking with you and learning more about uh, the IDA and, and and what they do and how effective and the, the great impact that they're actually having on industry in Ireland and on the global place. I wish you the best of luck to you and your team in going forward with the challenges we all face um, and um, hopefully talk to you soon. Well, thanks a million and congratulations on the job you do. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cyber Task Force podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe and perhaps share it with a friend or colleague. We welcome your reviews, feedback and ideas. We have many more interesting episodes planned, so subscribe now and don't miss out. For more information, visit ICTTF.org. That's ICTTF.org. This episode was brought to you by CyberPrism.com. Remember, you can find out more about how CyberPrism can help you measure and manage cyber risk by signing up for a demo at cyberprism.com. By visiting cyberprism.com, you can find out more about the benefits, download the brochure, watch demo videos, and even request a live demonstration with one of our experts.